the Jewish high priest and other religious leaders in Israel had become very jealous of Jesus and his growing popularity, so they wanted to destroy him. They also understood that some of his teaching pointed to their hypocrisy, and so they wanted to silence him. And it's late at night, about midnight. Jesus is in the garden in Gethsemane with his disciples. He's been praying, as we talked about last Sunday. When one of the twelve, when Judas, leads a mob, he kisses Jesus on the cheek to betray him, and Jesus is arrested. One of the men who were present that night was Matthew. He wrote the Gospel of Matthew, and he describes that scene when Jesus is arrested in chapter 26 of his Gospel this way. It says, while he was still speaking, Jesus speaking to the disciples, Judas one of the twelve came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who had come from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him, Matthew says, gave them a sign saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. Immediately. Immediately. He didn't hesitate. Immediately. Judas went to Jesus and said to him, Hail, Rabbi, and he kissed him on the cheek. Now notice how Jesus responded. Jesus said, Friend, do what you have come for. Friend? Friend? Do what you have come for. And then they, the mob, the crowd, came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And Matthew continues by saying, Behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword, and he struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. What you saw depicted in the movie is accurate. One of the other Gospels tells us it was Peter who pulled his sword and, and cut off the man's ear. And again, notice how Jesus responded. Jesus said to him, to Peter, put your sword back into its place, for all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, ask the Father in heaven, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels, more than 60,000 angels? How then will the Scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, the one that had come out to arrest him, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would another robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. And then it's one of the saddest verses, I think, in all of Scripture. It says, all the disciples, all of them, fled. They left him alone with the crowd that had come to arrest him. Lord Jesus we pray right now that you speak to our hearts. We invite you to touch us, to reveal yourself to us. And those in this room who've already committed themselves to you and are your disciples, God, draw us closer to the Father. Draw us closer to Jesus, our Savior. Reveal those things in our lives that are hindering our walk with Jesus. Convict us, encourage us. And Father, we pray for those in this room who are lost and do not know Christ, that you will speak to their hearts and reveal your love to them. Help them understand 
how much you care about them and help them understand how much they need you. Father, move among us. Touch hearts, touch minds, and touch lives and change us today is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This scene is taking place late at midnight within the 24 hours before Jesus is nailed to the cross. I want you to notice some things about Jesus' arrest and what happened to him, what he experienced in this scene from his his darkest night on planet earth, if you will. He's betrayed by someone very close to him. He's betrayed by a friend, and it's a deep, hurtful, terrible betrayal because I want us to think for a moment about Judas. So often we just pass over it really quickly. But I want us to think about Judas and who he was in relation to Jesus. In this passage, when Judas walks up to Jesus and kisses him on the cheek, Jesus called him a friend. He said, friend? Now listen to that. Friend? Judas was one of the twelve. Part of the inner circle that had spent the last three years with Jesus. The other disciples and Jesus trusted Judas. They had trusted him to take care of the money, to handle their expenses. When you put someone in charge of the finances, it means you trust them. He'd been with Jesus, heard Jesus teach, seen all the miracles Jesus had performed, and Jesus called him a friend. And when Judas betrays him, notice that he did it with a kiss. With a kiss. Can you imagine someone you're really close to, someone you care about walking up to you, and they they give you a big hug, they embrace you, and they greet you, and in so doing, they're betraying you to your enemy who wants to hurt you? That's what Jesus is experiencing when he's arrested in the garden at midnight. Deep, hurtful betrayal by a very close friend. It wasn't like Jesus was betrayed by a co-worker or an acquaintance or a neighbor that he seldom saw. He's betrayed by someone close to him. Have there ever been moments in your life when someone close to you let you down, hurt you, disappointed you, betrayed you, cut you to the core of your being? When the Bible tells us in Hebrews that Jesus, our high priest, is one that's touched by our weaknesses and struggles, it's true because he's been here. He's experienced it. He knows what it is to be betrayed. He knows what it is to be abandoned. He knows what it is to be let down by somebody he cares about. And therefore, when you go through those times in your life, don't run from God. Run to him. Don't turn your back on Jesus. Look him straight in the eye and say, Jesus, I need you. And I need you now more than ever. I need you. And I'm coming to you, Jesus, because when you come to him, you come to someone who understands, who gets it because he's been there. A terrible betrayal by a very close friend. But he was also treated like a common criminal. Here's this mob, this this large crowd, if you will. Matthew describes it as a, as a large crowd. Now get this scene. Jesus and his 11 of his disciples in this remote garden at midnight. It's dark and it's quiet and he's been praying and they're talking. And all of a sudden this crowd, this big, large crowd comes. And, and notice what's in their hands. They're carrying swords and clubs. It's a mob. It's not just a little group out for a midnight stroll. 
There's serious business that they're about. There's this sense of violence. There's this sense of anger. There's this, this intensity to it as this large crowd carrying sticks and clubs and swords have come to arrest Jesus just like he's a thief, just like he's a criminal, just like he's a bad guy. And it feels like everyone is ganging up on him. When Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was abandoned by everyone. The Bible tells us in the last verse we read that all of the disciples, not just some of them, all of them, all of them left him, abandoned him, ran away, scared, intimidated, not understanding what was happening. And so they leave Jesus alone with that angry crowd, that angry mob with swords and clubs that have come to arrest him. It's just Jesus and that crowd. And all of his followers, everyone who had said, I love you, Jesus, they've run away. And truth is, there have been times when each one of us have done something kind of similar. We found ourselves in a precarious situation. We were intimidated. And in that moment, we became meek. We became weak. We became afraid. And we denied Jesus or we just kept quiet. All of us have had those moments when it was tough and we turned our back on him and we ran away. The good news is that Jesus loves us and forgives. It's not long after this episode that Jesus is once again with the disciples and he's embracing them and forgiving them and healing them. And if if you're here today, And you're at a point in your life when maybe you're trying to get back right with God because you've turned your back on Him, you've run away. I want you to know that if you look at Jesus, if you come to Jesus, if you turn toward Jesus, He will embrace you, He will love you, He will help you, He will heal you, He will forgive you. Don't run from Him. Run into His arms. So Jesus is experiencing a lot of things when He's arrested in the garden that evening. And what did he do? I mean, when he's arrested, what did he do? He showed compassion. The Bible says that Peter, it's a natural reaction, pulls out his sword and he swings it, cutting off a man's ear. It really happened. Makes sense. Wants to defend him. And Jesus says, Peter, put up your sword. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. I don't want you to have that kind of life. Put it up. Violence is not the answer. And then he reached out and he touched the man. Luke, Luke's gospel tells us Jesus reached out and touched, touched him, touched his ear and healed it. Now get that picture in your mind. This is the crowd that's come to arrest him. This, this is the crowd that's going to take him to the religious authorities who are going to condemn him to death on a cross. And Jesus knows this. This is a crowd that has their hands filled with swords and clubs and, 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 and they're upset and they're, they're, they're hyper and, they're, you know. And he reaches out and he heals the guy who had come to arrest him. What makes you think Jesus won't forgive you? What makes you think your sin, your decisions in the past are so big and so bad and so terrible that there's no way he could love you? There's no way he could want to be part of your life and have a relationship with you? What makes you think that he can't 
change you and heal you? What makes you think Jesus doesn't want to reach out his hand and touch you and touch your heart and touch your soul and touch your mind and touch your life? Here in this dark moment, when yes, he's the son of God, but he's also the son of man, he's to be arrested, this crowd, the mob, the clubs, the sword, and he heals the guy. It's compassion. No matter where you are in life, Jesus feels compassion for you. No matter how much you've messed up, how much damage you've done to yourself of others, Jesus feels compassion for you. And he wants to help you. But you've got to allow him to do it. See, God's love, listen, Jesus' love does not depend on our worthiness. If it did, he would never have gone to the cross for none of us are worthy of Jesus sacrificing himself on the cross for us. His love is there simply because he is love. And so Jesus, when he's being arrested, shows compassion. When he's being arrested, what did Jesus do? He made the decision to obey Scripture, to fulfill Scripture, to do what the Word of God said he, as the Messiah, was supposed to to do. See, the Old Testament scriptures, the prophets had said the Messiah would die. He would bear our transgressions. He would bear our stripes. And through that, we would be healed. He would be led to slaughter. And Jesus knew that. And so in this story, Matthew tells us in chapter 26 and verse 54, Notice what Jesus says. How then, this is after Peter's been trying to, to defend him and he tells Peter to stop and he heals the man's ear. How then will the scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? And then look at verse 56. All this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. Jesus knew what the Old Testament had said the Messiah would experience. And in this moment, Jesus could have chosen differently. He could, you know, in the garden he was praying, Father, I, I, I wish there was another way, but if not, your will be done. Now here it's actually happening because earlier he had prayed about it. Now it's starting to happen. He knows why they're there. And in that moment he had a choice to make. Fulfill Scripture or not fulfill Scripture. Fulfill what God has said the Messiah would do and experience or not. And he chose to experience it. He chose to obey Scripture. He chose to obey the Word of God. And in that decision, you get a sense of how Jesus feels about Scripture, about the Word of God. What did Jesus do? He practiced what he preached. Every week in this sermon series, as we look at different scenes from the last 24 hours of Jesus' life before the cross, one of the things that's going to stand out is that Jesus practiced what he preached. Practiced what he preached. Because during the three years of Jesus' ministry leading up to this night, he had demonstrated both through his actions and words multiple times that the Scripture, and for them because the New Testament had not yet been written, Jesus had not yet been crucified, so he's referring to the Old Testament, that it was the Word of God, that it was authoritative, that it was accurate. He spoke to the veracity of Scripture. Time and time again, he said, it's the Word of God is applicable to our lives. We are to follow it, live by it, and obey what it says. 
He pointed people to it. And in this very difficult moment of his life, that's the decision he made. And he practiced what he preached. In Luke chapter 2, there's the story of Jesus as a 12-year-old boy traveling to the city of Jerusalem with his family to uh, observe the Jewish festival. And afterward, the family returns home as part of a caravan. Jesus gets left behind in Jerusalem. After the family realized Jesus is missing, they turn around, go back to Jerusalem, begin searching the city for him, and they find him in the temple. And in your notes and on the screen is the verse that summarizes what Jesus was doing. Verse 46 from that story says, They found him, they found Jesus in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And so here Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy in the temple, is learning God's Word. He's sitting there with the teachers of the Old Testament Scriptures, interacting with them, listening to them, and asking them questions. And in so doing, he's demonstrating for you and me the importance of knowing Scripture, the importance of being inquisitive, the importance of study and not taking for granted the Word of God. Do not think that all we have to do is show up at First Baptist Church on Sunday morning and if we do that, we'll get enough, we'll get all we need. Here he is as a little kid illustrating for all of us of all ages today the place of God's Word in our lives. So I want you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 4 as they bring the lights up just a little bit so you can see. And I want us to look at some Bible verses in Matthew's gospel that help us understand what Jesus said about the Word of God and its place in our lives. Matthew chapter 4, it's the story of Jesus just having been baptized and he's beginning the public phase of his ministry by going out into the wilderness to spend time with the Father. And we're told that he spends 40 days fasting, 40 days not eating anything, just with the Father. Now, that's not the kind of fast you begin with, okay, if you're not an experienced, have experience at fasting. In fact, very few people will ever fast that way, 40 days. Fasting is good, but God really needs to tell you if you're going to do it that, that long, okay? And uh, check with your doctor too, so. But a 40-day fast. And then it tells us in Matthew chapter 4 at the end of of, uh, verse 2, at the end of that 40 days, he was hungry. Well, yeah, I would be too. And so he's fasted 40 days and he's hungry. And in verse 3, the tempter, the devil, Satan, comes to Jesus and said to him, if you're the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Prove to us who you are. And it was a real temptation because he was really hungry. And he could have done it. He could have turned the stones into bread. But Jesus answered in verse 4, It is written, written, the Bible, Scripture, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He said there's some things more important than physical, tangible stuff. The truth of God, the Word of God. Feast on that. Live on that. Man lives by that. And I love the way Jesus described it here. He said every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's not as though this is simply words on a piece of paper. It is the words that proceed out of the mouth of God and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, men of God recorded them for us. Thus saith the Lord. 
And Jesus said we are to live on that. We live on physical food. We get our nourishment, our nutrition. And Jesus said, if you want to live the Christian life, you want to be spiritually strong, you want to be a disciple who brings honor to God, you need spiritual nourishment. You need spiritual food. And you live on that. And it's the Word of God. And that is what makes you strong. That is what sets you on the right path. That is what gives you direction for life. It is to be lived by. It is to shape your existence, if you will. Your thinking, your values, your priorities, your decisions. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Look at uh, chapter 5 of Matthew's gospel. Chapter 5. We get another sense of the importance Jesus placed on Scripture. Now, notice this, verse 27, chapter 5, verse 27. He said, you've heard, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, referring to an Old Testament passage. You shall not commit adultery. One of the Ten Commandments. Verse 28, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Do you know what Jesus is teaching us there? That as disciples, we are not simply to obey the letter of God's word. More importantly, we are to obey the spirit of it, the intent of it. See, sometimes we can become so legalistic in so many different ways and, and, and we can obey the letter of something. We can be a legalist. And because we're following those legal rules, oh, I've done good. But God said there's something more important because the rule about adultery, the, the teaching about adultery is for a higher purpose. It's so that in your heart and in your mind and in your life and in your soul, you remain pure. You remain faithful. And so he says, when we, guys, when we look and lust inside, we're already committing adultery. And so it's... it's Yes, that's, that's, that's a hard thing. But, but God says if you want to grow in Christ's likeness and you want to grow in godliness, it's not just about obeying these outer rules. It's understanding the higher purpose of God and, and going beyond. Because God wants you to be pure. And guys, if you want to know why pornography is a sin, it's because every time you look at pornography your heart is unpure. Your heart is impure. Every, every time you look at pornography, your thoughts are not pure. Every time you lust, sin enters in. And so Jesus said, yes, know the Word of God, but know that God is trying to do something with that. He, he's not just giving rules for the sake of rules. He's trying to grow us. He's trying to bless us. He's trying to protect us. He's trying to change us. He's trying to help us become more Christ-like, help us become more godly, more pure, which is a better life. Another passage in chapter 8 of Matthew's Gospel. Jesus at verse 1 comes down from a mountain. There's a large crowd gathered. One of those is a leper. He has leprosy. He comes to Jesus, asked to be healed. And then in verse 3 it says, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and he healed him. And I want you to get this scene. Jesus reached out and touched this leper. Because in their culture, lepers were ostracized. Lepers had to, had to scream out, Leper, leper, leprosy. Anytime they were out in public so no one would dare touch them and be infected. They had to keep away from people. And here's Jesus reaches out and he touches this guy. 
And you may have junk in your life, scars in your life. You may be messed up in some pretty bad ways and, and maybe religious people won't touch you and have anything to do with you. Maybe a church won't touch you and have anything to do with you. But Jesus is not afraid to reach out and touch you. He has compassion. He loves you. And he'll touch you. He'll heal you. He'll cleanse you. And then, as it relates to Scripture, in the next verse, Jesus tells this man to go and show himself to the priest and present the offering. Verse 4, present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Because in, in the Old Testament book of Leviticus, chapter 14, God directed Moses to give clear instruction to the Jewish people that when one of them was healed of leprosy, they were to give an offering. And here's what the offering was. And it's in great detail there, even to the point if somebody is really, really poor and doesn't have much, here's what they can do to give an offering of thanksgiving for God healing them of leprosy. And Jesus is demonstrating again because yet he's not died on the cross yet that for a Jewish man, hey, obey the Scripture. Obey the Scripture is the Word of God. It's just a demonstration of the value Jesus placed on God's Word. Then one last passage in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus in verse 1 and his disciples are walking through a field, through a grain field, and they become hungry. So they plucked some grain to eat. It's like I'm walking through an apple orchard and I'm hungry and I just pick an apple and I start eating it. It's the same, same type situation. But in verse 2, the Pharisees saw this. They said to him, look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath you're not supposed to work and the Jews had all these rules they had come up with at that point in time for how you keep the Sabbath. You know, it's like people who they read the Bible and God says, do this and don't do that. And so people say, now, if you want to do this, here's how you do it. And if you don't want to do that, here's And so they come up with all these rules that go beyond what Scripture said. Well, that's what they had done when it came to this situation. And plucking grain was working because on the Sabbath you can't work, you can't cook, you can't prepare meals, you can't harvest, you do all that the day before. And so they were breaking the rules. And they, the Pharisees were attacking them and judging them and accusing them. And by the way, somewhere else in the Gospels, in dealing with this kind of situation, Jesus said, listen, guys, the Sabbath was made for men, not the other way around. People matter more than your rules. So notice how Jesus responds here. He said in verse 3, have you not read, pointing them back to the Old Testament that they followed, he said, have you not read what David, King David in the Old Testament did when he became hungry and his companions, those soldiers who were with him, how he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread. The consecrated bread was a loaf of bread that was placed in there and it was replaced periodically and, and every time new bread was put in, it was consecrated, dedicated to God and the old bread was then eaten by the priest and no one else could eat it. Have you not read what David did? They were hungry. They ate the consecrated bread that was not lawful for them to eat. Only the priest. You not read your own Bible, he says. They went in there and they were hungry and they ate. The idea is, listen, that human need supersedes your rules 
Did you get that? Human need supersedes your rules. Because, as I said a moment ago, the Sabbath was made for man, Jesus said, not man for the Sabbath. And it's so easy to get everything out of order and get it twisted. But when it comes to Scripture, Jesus is again saying through his words and through his actions, I've read it. Have you not read? I've read it. Don't you remember? I know it. I've read. And again, do, do you see what I'm, what I'm doing? I'm trying to demonstrate for us that time and time and time again, Jesus revealed that he read the Scripture. He knew the Scripture. He used the Scripture. What makes us think we don't need to read it, don't need to know it, don't need to use it in our own lives if we're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ? So what's your Bible reading like? Do you read daily? What's your Bible study like? Are you learning it? Do you have a hunger, a passion to know the Word of God? If you really want to know how Jesus felt about Scripture and its importance in our life, there's this verse on the screen, Luke chapter 11, verses 27, 28. It's a really interesting scene. It says, while Jesus was saying these things, he was teaching, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, said to Jesus, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. This lady is saying, Jesus, your mother is a blessed woman to have a kid like you. She is a blessed woman. She gave birth to you. She's blessed. But Jesus responded on the contrary. Blessed are those who hear what? What church? The Word of God. And then do what? Observe it. Jesus said, if you want to know what's, what's blessed, it's, it's not Mary, it's those who hear and obey the Word of God. That's the blessed life. That's, that's the life that God shines His favor on. That that's the life that has it together, that hears his word, listens to his word, and then lives by it, observes it, does it, obeys it, is shaped by it. That's a blessed person. That's a blessed life, he says. Well, here's takeaways for us. One, just like last week, obedience is a choice. Last week we said that uh, surrendering, Submitting ourselves to the will of God is a choice. Well, obeying the word of God is also a choice. Here in the garden, back to this scene, Jesus is arrested. It's a tough, tough moment in his life. Could have done differently, but in this moment, he chose to obey the Scripture, to fulfill the Scripture, and it's always a choice to obey or not obey. There was a family on a mission trip in the Dominican Republic. How many of you have ever traveled to a third world or developing country? Raise your hand. You've been in a third world country. All right, it's a different, different world, isn't it? And in most of those in the cities, they drive. Uh, it's awful. I mean, you, you don't get out in the roads. You get run over. I mean, it's, it's crazy on many of those roads. I mean, go, just go to Mexico City and don't leave the hotel. I mean, it's just crazy the way they drive. It's dangerous. 
And um, this family was on mission trip in Dominican Republic. Traffic was just like that. And it, it was late at night. It was dark. They were in a part of town where there wasn't a whole lot of traffic. Music was playing. Their little six-year-old boy was playing the game. He was just all, you know how kids get absorbed in their own world and, and forget the rest of the world around them. Six years old, and he's doing it, and he's playing this, and here's his game. He, he's on the sidewalk, and then he jumps out into the road, back to the sidewalk, back and forth. We can start an exercise class here today. You, but can't you see a little six-year-old boy doing that? I just, you know, off the sidewalk, into the road, back and back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And all of a sudden, his dad shouted loudly, Samuel, don't move. Samuel froze and stood perfectly still. Within a second, a moped doing about 30 miles an hour with no lights, in the very spot he would have stepped. In all likelihood, would have been seriously injured if not killed. And his immediate obedience protected him. In this room, each and every one of us already know things from God's Word that God is saying to us, God is commanding us, God is directing us. And it's always a choice. Do we obey or do we not? I mean, Samuel could have been like a lot of little six-year-old boys. Why? He could have hesitated. Oh, what'd you say? And we do that with God all the time. And every time we do it, we pay for it. We, we, we lose out. God speaks and he says, Steve. He says, whatever your name is. He, he, he speaks to us here in the Scripture, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Word of God. Listen, listen, listen. It's a choice. And here in this dark moment of Jesus' life, he chose to listen and obey the Word of God. Now, obeying, this is the second takeaway. Obeying God's Word is not always convenient or easy. It was neither convenient nor easy for Jesus that night in the garden. And it won't always be convenient or easy for us. And then the third one is this. It's okay if some people don't understand why you choose to obey the Word of God. It's okay if they don't get it. Because if you choose to live your life by Scripture, there will be people in your life. Maybe it's somebody in your immediate family. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's somebody at school. There will be somebody in your life who doesn't get it. They don't understand why you want to live by Scripture, why you want to obey the Word of God. But that's okay. Peter didn't understand why Jesus was doing what he did. The disciples didn't get it. None of them got it until after the crucifixion and the resurrection. When I was in high school and college, I had friends who did not understand why I did not date more than I did. Because I had made a commitment at a point. I became a Christian as a teenager. I made a commitment at some point while I was still in high school to live by what we called Christian dating standards. And that was I was not going to date anyone the first time that was not already a devout, dedicated, living for Jesus believer. 
because I did not want to become emotionally engaged, emotionally involved, emotionally attached, and possibly fall in love and end up spending my life with someone who was not a committed follower of Christ. It's too big a risk. I wanted a devout Christian. And it's the Corinthians principle that Paul teaches to not, for believers not to be unequally yoked together with, with unbelievers. And I just took that to heart and trusted that waiting on God was the right thing and turned out pretty good. <laughs> And I had friends. You need to go out. You need to. You should, no, no. There was actually a time when I wanted to date Monisa, but did not because she was not surrendered to Jesus completely. That happened later in her college life. And God protected me. And I had friends who did not understand it. But later this month, we will have been married 33 years. God blessed. And I'm going to tell you something. When you choose to obey Scripture, you'll be blessed. And when you find all these excuses and all these reasons, all these justifications for doing what you want to do and ignoring what God says, you cheat yourself. You cheat your life. And you rob yourself of some of the blessings that God has for you. Is it always easy? No. You think it was easy for Jesus that night? But wow. We are all here because of the choice he made. Many of us in this room have Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We will be in heaven forever because of the choice he made. You want to bless your life and the people in your life? Choose obedience. It works every time. Okay, it works every time. Choose obedience. The Word of God. Jesus did. You can, and it's always worth it. Let's stand. Father, you've been speaking to us, and I pray right now that fear would leave this room, that your Spirit would give boldness to each and every one of us to obey what you are saying to us. God, help us do right now everything you are asking us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to sing a song, and I'm inviting you to this altar to get on your knees and talk to God about your relationship with Him. Some of you haven't been reading the Bible, and you need to ask God's forgiveness and make a commitment to read it every day. Some of you have not been studying the Scriptures, and you need to make a commitment to get into a, a, a study, to get a book, and begin studying Scripture. Some of you have not been living for the Lord very well. You know it. There are things in your life that need to get cleaned up, that need to get fixed. Get on your knees here at this altar. Kneel here at the kneeling bench. and Talk to God. Let Him, let him touch you this morning. God doesn't want you to, to, to go, keep going with that burden, with that pain. Get, get on your knees and let God touch you like He touched that leper. Let God touch you like He did the man's ear. And let Him heal you. Let Him cleanse you. Let Him forgive you. Some of you need to join this church and commit yourself. Jesus is building this church. It's His church, and you need to be committed. Some of you need to give your life to Christ. You're here, and you've heard this sermon, and you know Jesus was arrested and went to the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. 
and that he wants to forgive you and he will forgive you. He'll he'll welcome you with open arms, but you've got to let him embrace you. You've got to come to him. And so I'm inviting you right now to come to one of these pastors, Brother Jamie or Brother Steve, and say, hey, I want to, I want to give my life to Jesus and I want to become a Christian and I want to be saved right now. And they'll lead you in prayer and we have counselors who will talk to you and help you. People are ready to assist you, but you've got to come. So let's sing this song as we do. Just start walking from there in the back, the middle, the front, the sides, wherever you are. Come to one of these pastors. Come and get on your knees here and do business with God and let them do a work in your life.